You are listening to an audio from Redemption City Church. If you would like to explore more resources or donate to this ministry, go to www.visitredemptioncc.com. Well, good morning, everyone. How are we doing? Good. Uh, we're going to have to do better. We have all of our kids gone now, so we're going to have to do better. we got to make up for them. How are we doing? Good. Man, I'm really excited if this is your first time here. Um, th- man, welcome to Redemption City. We really are glad you're here. We're hoping that someone who's been um, regularly attending has greeted you, made you feel welcomed. And if you've been hanging out with us for this whole, what now, six or seven weeks, man, I hope that you are really growing in Christ and that Christ is doing a work in you. And so if you're not aware, we are in a nine part series called the DNA series. Okay. And that's essentially Redemption City Church establishing its values and its characteristics that we want to be known for and ultimately marked by. And so um, what we've been working through so far, as you see on the screen, is first on June 9th, our big launch day, we looked at what does it mean for us to be marked by the gospel, right? And that's essentially moving from our own story into God's story of redemption because of his son. And then we moved into the next week and we learned what does it mean for us to be a people that are marked by grace, right? And we learned that means that it's an expression of God's love providing things for his people that we ultimately don't deserve. And so we looked at that. And then when you really meet the God of the universe, when you really are overwhelmed by the love and the grace of God, next week we learned what does it mean for that grace to be activated in your heart where generosity overflows out of you. Not something that you do out of compulsion, but something you do because you want to. And so we looked at what does it mean for us to be individuals and then families and then a church and ultimately a community that's marked by generosity. And then we had a little bit of a turmoil and we were not able to have service here. So we had our pancakes prayer and pathways at Pastor Jack's house. It was a great time. It was an awesome time. And um, we prayed that God would provide what we needed here at the Arbory in less than seven days. Look, we're chronicling, right? We're not going to do this all the time, but for the first series, right? And then God moved. He answered our prayers and the Arbory situation was alleviated. We clapped, we rejoiced. And then we moved in the following week on July 7th. And we looked at what does it mean to be marked by gathering, right? So we're coming together every Sunday. We're lifting up our voices. We're singing, but why are we here? What does the Bible have to say about that? So we looked at what does it mean to be marked by gathering? And then we looked um, last week, what does it mean to be marked by going? Like, how do we activate Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission, in our lives? There were five directives inside of that passage, and we looked at how does that play out? And then we got a chance a couple of days later to meet over coffee and tea and to talk about that. Now, as we transition, we're going to be moving into um, the next two weeks. We're going to be looking intently at biblical manhood and biblical womanhood. Okay, and so this is going to be a really, really important time. And then after these next two weeks, uh, after looking at biblical manhood and biblical womanhood, we're going to be then exploring what does it mean to have unity, right? How do we have unity in the family unit? And then after we look at what does it mean to have unity in the family unit, we're going to be exploring, this is really exciting, as we conclude this series, what does it mean for us as a church, as a people, to become a covenant family? And that's when we're going to be talking about what does it mean to become a covenant 
member. Now, listen, if you don't have your Bibles, and I, and I, do, and I hope you do, uh, I mean, if you do have your Bibles, and I hope you do, we're going to be opening up to Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to be starting in verse 26 in just a little bit. If you don't have your own Bible, we have some ESV ones and the turquoise and the windowsill that you can feel free to use. And now, because this is our first series ever as a church, and we're coming together, we want to make sure that we're slowing down and that we're teaching everything possible that we can. And so we use the ESV, the English Standard Version here is our primary translation because me and Pastor Jack as the elders and the pastors of this church believe that it's the best word-for-word -word translation also being readable for the everyday um, believer um, that comes to church. So that's why we are settling on the ESV Standard Version. And so, listen, I just want to lay before you a foundation for the rest of the series as we talk about some things that, let me just be really, really honest with you, um, they're going to be really close to some people's heart, right? Um, and they're also going to be really, really close to some people's pain. And I just want to acknowledge that right now. We're not going to be here to have like a huge theological debate. The things that we're talking about over the next three weeks have divided families. They have divided churches. They have divided churches into different denominations. And man, our hope is that we were here to establish what Redemption City is going to be known for, ultimately marked by. Um, and we believe that this is faithful to the text of what the Bible has to say. And so um, I want to lay that foundation right now. So if you look on the screen, I just want to start with this. Listen, we believe the God of the Bible is true and that he is the only real God. You tracking with me? He is the only real God and that he has created everything that exist, including certain systems and institutions, right? Whether that's the institution of family institution or the marriage institution, these are all the institutions that we believe the God of the universe, he's created them and he's done them for two reasons. Look at the first one. The first reason is for the glory of his name. Listen, if you don't learn anything else over the next three weeks as we talk about this intimate and sensitive subject of biblical manhood and biblical womanhood, if you don't learn anything else as we then um, work through the unity in the family unit, which will be sensitive as well. If you learn nothing else, all that God has designed, all that he has created, all that he has wired you specifically for, everything out here that you see created is all for his glory. The first reason is for the glory of his name. Listen, I'm not the point. You're not the point. God is the point. The second reason is for the joy of his people. All right? for the joy of, of us, for, the, for us to have joy. Listen, God's ways are always supremely and utterly better than our ways. And here's what's really important. Listen, the word of God always sets us up for the best way possible to live and ultimately for our joy. You know, Paul echoes this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. And this is what the word says. It says, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Listen to this. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So that's going to be our aim. We're going to be aiming right there saying, God, we believe that your word is true. We believe it's going to set us up. It's going to teach us. It's going to lovingly and gently correct things in us. And that's going to be our aim as we explore biblical manhood and womanhood. Amen. Let's pray. 
Lord, from the people sitting here today at Redemption City Church in Beaverton, Hillsborough area, to those who eventually, Lord, will be watching online this very sermon that are a part of our church, we are your people gathered today, Lord, under your word. Now, we're eager for you to speak, God, so Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come. I ask in the name of Jesus that you would control my mouth and that you would guard my heart and that you would steward my mind so that I would say only what you would have me to say. I pray that this message be saving and strengthening and healing and reconciling and beautifying to this beautiful design that you've made in biblical manhood and womanhood. I pray that we would come together through these next three weeks and not be divided apart. May we all submit to the wisdom that you have proclaimed through your holy word. It's because of your beautiful name we pray. Amen. Now, we have a lot of ground to cover um, this morning as we look at, um, honestly, one of the most sensitive and one of the most important topics in all of Scripture. In fact, it's also probably one of the major things that's under attack in our culture right now. When you think about manhood and womanhood and sexuality, um, and honestly, it's under attack even within the walls of our church. Now, we're not going to be able to exhaustively walk through everything that the Bible says about manhood and womanhood over the next two weeks, but our hope is to really understand a biblical worldview on what God's design ultimately is. And so here's some expectations I do want you to hold in tension. Listen, expect some difficult moments over the next two weeks. Like you may think to yourself at different times when I'm communicating and I'm preaching this message, did Pastor Brandon really just say what I thought he said? Did he really just say, does he know that he lives in one of the most liberal states in the entire country? Does he know how chauvinistic he just sounded when he said that last phrase? You may have some of those thoughts. Listen, I want to acknowledge this. I'm not going to be able to answer all of your questions today. We're not going to be able to do that. In fact, I'm also not going to be able to answer everything that you're going to feel emotionally. Um, you're going to have to lean in with me today um, and, and just stay, hang in there with me. Next week, we're going to look at some more practical things. It's going to answer some of maybe what's happening emotionally when you hear some of these things, especially if you're a visitor. Like, don't hear the first thing that seemingly sounds offensive to you and then tune the rest out. You're going to miss what God has for you. And so um, let's, let's lean in and let's look at the effects of biblical manhood and womanhood uh, because they're really, really far-reaching. Here's the first one. The first effect of biblical manhood um, and womanhood is our understanding of God, right? It affects our understanding of God. Not just how we understand Him, but how He operates. God has primarily revealed Himself through relationships, right? The first relationship we see is the relationship between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so the primary way He's doing, He's revealing Himself that way. And so manhood and womanhood is a super important thing. And so we, that's one way that manhood and womanhood is affected. Number two, um, our understanding of the gospel. Okay, our understanding of the gospel. There's something going on between God the Father as the head and then the subordinate son, right, as his willing helper, catch this language, and his willingness to sacrifice. There's something going on with the Father as the head, the son as the subordinate helper to the Father's will that's going on. But it's not just the understanding of the gospel. There's also the proclamation of the gospel, like how we express the gospel which is the message of what God has done through His Son, is done primarily through relationships. So this is going to affect manhood and womanhood. 
Another way that it's affected is how we express sexuality. We have a lot to cover. We're going to be running through these things. I want you to take this home and I want you to interact with this. How we express sexuality. Listen, we are living in a day in which sexual differences are labeled synonymous. Utterly synonymous. Like, if you don't like it anymore, just go medically change it, right? I don't like it, so I'm going to go medically change it. Uh, there's no real difference between man and no real difference between woman. I love what Elizabeth, Elibeth, um, Elizabeth Elliot had to say about this topic about manhood and womanhood and sexuality. She's the wife, if you don't know, to the martyr Jim Elliot, who um, lost his life as a, a missionary in Ecuador. And this is what she said. Throughout the millennia of human history, up until the past two decades or so, people took for granted that the differences between men and women were so obvious as to need no comment. Elizabeth Elliot then went on to say in this quote, they accepted the way things were, but our easy assumptions have been assailed and confused, and we have lost our bearings in a fog of rhetoric about something called equality. So that I find myself in the uncomfortable position of having to belabor to educated people what was once perfectly obvious to the simplest of peasant. Wow. See, as a result of our rebellion, we are walking against a biblical worldview of gender and sexuality, and we have a warped view. Like we're living in a time where pornography is running rampant, and the exploitation of women, primarily by men, is happening on a daily basis for cheap and instant gratification. We're living in a time where, guys, little baby girls right now are either being killed or left for dead because they are not considered as valuable as having a boy in different guys this is in 2019 i'm not talking about a history story today this is happening we are in desperate need for a biblical worldview of manhood and womanhood to combat these things this is a spiritual battle this is a spiritual attack and we want to see what God has to say about that. Another way that biblical manhood, and, and that's enough. <laughs> Another way that biblical manhood and womanhood is affected is how we express our sexual, excuse me, sexuality. It's not necessary for a man and a woman to have married, to be in a marriage anymore. If you're a woman and you're a woman, that'll do. That's fine. No big deal. Whatever, whatever makes you feel right. If you're a man and you're another man, that's fine. We can lift that up. We can, you can be married. So it affects how we think through our sexuality. Another thing that it affects, it affects the love we have for our spouses. It affects the love that we have for our spouses. Men in the room, lean in with me. We are abandoning. As men in this country, we are primarily abandoning our responsibilities as heads and leaders in our homes. And the consequences for that are devastating. We're going to look at that over the next two weeks. And women are taking charge in the home. They are leading because often, let's just, quite frankly, men, we act like a bunch of wimps, leaving our wives to do all of the raising, all of the teaching, all of the disciplining, because we're so wrapped up and so consumed in our careers, our finances, or we're too busy being online, looking at pornography, exploiting women either online or in person, hello, or 
maybe that's not your thing. And maybe you're just too busy and you haven't grown up and you're spending all of your time playing video games while your wife literally raises your children and does it all. Biblical manhood and womanhood is also affected in how we thrive as singles. Now, we're not going to be able to look at singlehood um, too much today, but at some point we're going to look at it. We're going to take a deep dive and we're going to talk about these questions. What does it mean to be a single woman with a heart that's after God? And what does it mean to be a single young man who has a heart that's seeking to be after God? And finally, another way that biblical manhood and womanhood is affected is how we train our children. What does it mean for the people of God to train their sons to become men of God who are ambassadors of God's kingdom? Literally ambassadors of God's kingdom work. And what does it mean for the people of God to raise daughters to become women of God who are literally ambassadors of God's kingdom? Listen, if there's no different approach that we have as the people of God, then the world has and how they're raising, then that's going to tell us a lot about where we're at. Are you tracking with me? So we're going to be going now to Genesis chapter 1 and, and chapter 2. We're going to be looking at three truths that explain what God has to say about manhood. We can't jump into like practicalities and application. I know we have that temptation. Okay, so what is my role in the home? What is my role at, um, you know, in the workplace? And what, what's your church government? Wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's deal with the foundations that are etched and woven into creation. So we're going to be looking at the end of Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to see the first truth explained as you see a creation account of man and woman. And then in Genesis chapter 2, like basically in your Bible, it's probably like a flip of the page, we're going to be looking at um, another account of creation. And here's what I want you to know about how Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 is set up. You tracking with me? Now, don't think of Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 as a chronological story. It's not going from part 1 to part 2 of the story. But rather, think of Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 as two parallel accounts of the same event that are pressing upon and emphasizing two different things. Here's an example, because this, this, this is probably the most important conversation we're going to have over the next three weeks. I'm going to go really, really slow. Listen, me and my wife have been fortunate and blessed to bring two people into this world, Aiden and Aubrey. If I was to journal the events of my son being born and my daughter being born, and then my wife was to journal my son and my daughter's events, it would be different. It would be the same event that are emphasizing two different things. I would assume that if in my journal, I would feature things like um, the people who came, how, um, what, how big my son was, and whether he cried, I think my wife would articulate what she felt inside, and maybe a hope of being activated that she had prayed for. So it's the same story. There's only one event that happened, but it's emphasizing two different things. Are you tracking with me? So Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 are communicating the same story that are emphasizing two different things, and that's going to be super important. And then as we explore that second truth, we're going to end on a third truth that comes out of those first two. Let's go and let's read Genesis chapter 1, and um, starting in verse 26. This is the word of the Lord. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea 
and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. I want you to focus, track with me, okay? I know we've read this passage so many times, but I really believe we're going to see something new today if we lean in. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. So this brings us to the truth number one. Get ready to write this down. God created man and woman with equal dignity and worth. I want you to say that with me. God created man and woman. You've got to wake up. God created man and woman with equal dignity and worth. Guys, nothing else in all of creation, not even the mighty, majestic angels, can that be set of. Like, both man and woman are both equally important. They're both equally valuable. They're equally important to God. They're equal in the image of God. They're equal in dignity. They're equal in worth. They're equal, so that means that we are equal to each other in dignity and worth. Like, no one is better or worse than the other. Man is not worse. Woman is not worth, worse. But see, what we're seeing right here, etched into this biblical account of creation, is that the Bible, from the beginning of the first things recorded, is denouncing, utterly denouncing, every single culture that has ever treated women, listen, as inferior to men. And that goes for America. This country has been founded upon belittling women not treating them with the dignity and the worth that they have. And the Bible from the beginning is denouncing that. It's saying that man and woman were created with equal dignity and equal worth. But guess what? It also means we're living in a time now in an ultra feministic movement where women have risen up and have proclaimed that we are, in, with, with, with uh, scientific data to prove it, we are intellectually superior to men. And guess what? The Bible is denouncing that spirit as well. We are equal in dignity. We are equal in worth. And the Bible starts off proclaiming that. Amen? So for us to really understand biblical manhood, and biblical womanhood, we're going to have to lean in and understand what this whole image of God thing is, the Imago Dei, the image of God. This is the same thing as those other words like grace and mercy and salvation and justification. If we don't slow down our time in church 
If we don't slow down our time and our devotions and interact with the deep and the wide realities of these biblical terms, we're going to miss what God's doing. So I'm going to do that today as we look at what does it mean to be in the image of God? So we're going to look at four, four ways that we can understand this image of God, because it's really difficult sometimes to understand what does it mean that I'm in the image of God? Because that's everything for understanding that man and woman were equally created in the image of God. All right, so the first way is we're, we're in the image of God and how we resemble God, okay? How we resemble God. We are utterly <laughs> different than God, yet we resemble him. Track with me. We, we're, we're, we resemble him in our moral capacities, in our ability to love, in our ability to forgive, in our ability to humble, things like humble ourselves, we even resemble him in our ability to have an intellect. We're not exactly like God in all these things, but we resemble God in all those ways. Like, there's nothing else, not the mountains, not the seas, not the angels, nothing else in all of creation can say that. That's how you're in the image of God. You resemble him. You have the capacity to love in a way that resembles God. We also resemble God in our physical bodies. This is beautiful. Think about this. We resemble him in our bodies. Now look at this. God the Father is spirit. Are we agreeing? God the Father is spirit. He has no physical body. The Holy Spirit is spirit, has no body. Yet in some mysterious and glorious way, we resemble God in our bodies. Um, the psalmist has something to say about this. Listen to me as I read this. Psalms 94, you don't have to turn there, verse 9. He who planted the ear, talking about God the Father, he who planted the ear, does he not hear? Wow. He who formed the eye, does he not see? Wow. So even though God the Father doesn't have a physical eye, he sees. And even though he doesn't have physical ears, he hears. See, we resemble God. We've been made in the image of God. We also are in the image of God by how we represent God and how we represent God. We're going to look, think about the Old Testament story. I love the Old Testament. When we consider Daniel, who was a little Jewish boy who was taken into captivity by the Babylonians during the, the era of King Nebuchadnezzar. And so in chapter 3, um, King Nebuchadnezzar takes up um, this big project where he was going to make all these images out of gold to be representation of himself. They were made six cubits feet tall and six cubit feet wide. Now, we all know that the, that the gold statue of King Nebuchadnezzar was not him, but it was made in his image. It was distributed throughout all the land, and the point was that this would be a representation of King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, that's a form of idolatry, but similarly, we are in the image of God because we represent God. We are not God. We are a picture. That's the point. We are a picture of God. We are not God. We are a picture of God, and we represent him. You following me? That's what it means when you probably heard since you've been a little kid. You're in the image of God. It means that you resemble God in your body and in your moral, intellectual, and affectional capacities. It means you represent God. Number three, 
being in the image of God means that we have the capacity to relate to God. Wow. Are you kidding? We have the ability and the capacity to relate to God. Now, verse 28, we just read this. It said, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And here's the two things. Subdue it and have dominion over it. The only other, the only other entity that has that ability is God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They subdue all things. They have dominion over all things. And they are allowing us to relate to them in that capacity to subdue creation and to have dominion over it. That is what it means to be in the image of God. So for every time you've heard, well, animals can love too. They love to. No, 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 no. Animals utterly lack the capacity to love in the ways that we love. We are the only things that have been created with that capacity to relate to God and to steward the lands. And then finally, we have the personal responsibility before God. That's what it means to be in the image of God. Look, both male and female are made in the image of God. We have a personal responsibility, therefore, (laughs) to be a living image of God. That means that what we do with our bodies and the things that we say matter to God. We have a personal responsibility by being in the image of God. This cannot be carried out only by men, and it cannot be carried out only by women. It can only be carried out by the beautiful relationship between man and woman, male and female. And what the creation story is saying is that there's a fitness. There's a fitness that happens when these two collide. And so what are we learning from this first truth? This first truth, we're learning this. It is never, ever, ever okay to belittle women. And in our culture, we need to, we need to know that. We need to have that as a firm foundation. We can't even interact with anything else today and next week if we don't understand. We have no permission by anything in Scripture to belittle our women, men in this room. We have to do a better job. We have to raise our children better. 1 Peter verses 3 and 7 says this. This is, this, this is weighty, husbands. It says, Husbands, if you do not honor your wives as the weaker vessel. Okay, stop. We're already acknowledging they're made differently than us. Yes, there's parts of them that are weaker in nature. We're going to look at that later, okay? That's not a bad thing. Husbands, if you do not honor your wives as the weaker vessel, here is the weight. God will not listen to your prayers. I remember vividly a time in my, um, probably year four of my marriage, and Uh, Me and Jillian were just having a hard time and we were seeing some things differently and she had this um, humbling, um, obedient moment with the Lord where she was just like, and I know it's because she shared it, where she's like, you know what, I'm going to trust the leadership of my husband. I'm going to come to you, God. I'm going to trust you and I'm going to pray for the things that matter in my heart. (laughs) And I remember because I came to her one time, I was like, babe, oh my gosh, God's put this in my heart. I'm having this new revelation and I think we should go in this direction. And she was like, great, I've been thinking that for like the last two months. I'm like, really? And she's like, yeah, I've been praying about this in my journal. And I pray that he'd move your heart. It was super humbling and convicting. It's a beautiful picture of the power of a praying woman. A power and the authority of a praying woman. Husbands, 
if you want God to hear your prayers, we have to honor our wives. This leads to truth number two in Genesis um, chapter two. Now we're going to turn that page over to Genesis chapter two, verses four through nine. Then we're going to skip to verses 15 through 25. Listen to me. We're going to go even slower with this passage. There is some glorious truth right here. Here's the word of God, starting in verse 4. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. We're not going to get caught up in emotional stuff today. I want us to focus. We have important things, weighty things to explore. Verse 5. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God has not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. Stop. This is the same story, but it's emphasizing something differently, and I want you to see something that I did not see for almost my entire time as a believer. Notice the order, okay? Listen, listen, verse 6. And the mist was going up from, there's no man. There was no man to work the ground. Verse 6. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man, not the woman, the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. Verse 8, and the Lord God planted a garden in Eden. So he made man, then he planted. Guys, look at how much happens before we even get to woman and Eve. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden. And in the east and there he put the man whom he had formed, and I want to add this context, alone. And out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. We're getting into the deep order. Genesis 2 is about the order of creation. Man is created, then the Garden of Eden. Now trees are, being, are, being, um, are springing up. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now skip to verse 15. Man. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. To do two things, to work it and to keep it, steward it. Verse 16, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You must surely eat of every tree of the garden. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. This command, Eve is not created yet. Keep tracking with me. All this is happening. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now, here's what we learn in children's church. And we make this really bad connection. We remember this, and I will make a helper fit for him, therefore he made Eve, right? No. Stop right here and look at the order of what's being emphasized. I'm going to read it again. We're going to keep going. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Let's go. Verse 19. Here we go. Now out of the ground, the Lord God formed Eve. No. Woman. Nope. Every beast of the field, this is in direct response to him saying, I need to get Adam a helper. 
every beast of the field, every bird of the heavens, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. So this was man's job to give them a name and a nature. I'm getting ahead of myself. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. Verse 20, the man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. What does that mean? What are what the implications right here? What, what are we looking at exegetically right here? There was an exploration of all these created things for Adam to find a helper, but none of them were fit. Are you tracking with me? None of them were fit. Or, okay, verse 21. So, that could have been therefore, same kind of conjunction word. So, therefore, the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. Verse 22, we're reading that Bible today. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman. Wow. Oh my gosh. And brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called, and I always mention it like this, woman. <laughs> because she was taken out of man. Verse 24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. Wow, wife now. Okay, there's so much going on. They shall become one flesh. Verse 25, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. I, this is one of my favorite passages in all of scripture. Listen, there's a reason. This is truth number two. God created man and woman with different roles. Repeat after me. God created man and woman with different roles. This is good news. Okay, look, there's a reason why there's male and female. They're distinct. Male and female were designed by God to be that way. Man and woman were created that way. This passage is showing us that it's about so much more than mere anatomy. It's not good enough to say, I don't like it, so therefore I medically change it. You're not medically changing. that. This is God's plan. This is God's design. And there's a purpose for it. Okay, but when are we going to talk about like the roles in the home and the roles in the church? No, you need to understand manhood and womanhood from the order of creation or none of it makes sense. You tracking with me? Both were created, man and woman, for different roles and for different reasons. Hey, our marriages are falling apart in America. Our children are not being led in unity in our homes. And if we don't understand manhood and womanhood, men, if you don't get this, you're going to keep making the same mistakes. You're going to keep abusing, even unintentionally, God's precious daughters. Women, if you don't get this, you're going to keep um, circumventing God's plan and design. We have to slow down. We have to get this. He is giving roles to men and women to complement each other, to serve one another. This is where we get terms like complementarianism. We're going to get there. But this whole concept of biblical manhood and womanhood is being slandered by our culture. Like, it's being twisted into all these weird ideas and caricatures that are not true. And honestly, it's happening in our church. And in the name of cultural progress, whatever that means, 
in the name of cultural progress, in the name of being politically correct and sensitive, we are not even interacting with the roles in the church that God, God has designed. And that, I need you to hear that's the weight of this, that God has designed. Okay? So I want you to follow with me. I want you to see how wonderful and beautiful and majestic God has designed these complementary roles of man and woman. All right. And so this is the first one. By, by the design of God, man was created to be the head. Clearly in Scripture. He was created to be the head. Look at, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3 on the screen. We're going to go really, really slow. Let it soak and permeate through you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. And the head of a wife is her husband. And the head of Christ is God. So listen, there's something really important going on. This is about the gospel. There's no gospel without man and woman done right. Listen, listen. As, 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 Christ, as God is the head of Christ, Christ serves as the head of the church and over man. And man is serving as the head over his wife and his family. When any part of that chain is broken, the whole thing collapses. The whole thing collapses. Look, look, just a couple verses down in that same um, chapter of 1 Corinthians, verse 8 says this. Listen, for man was not made for woman. Are you tracking with me? Man, men, you were not created for woman. But hold on. But woman from man. You were not created from a woman. You were created by God, by his breath, out of the dust. But woman, you were not created in that way. And it matters. It matters. The text matters. The order matters. You were created from man. Now listen to this. Neither was man created for woman. Men, you were not created primarily for women. Hold on. But woman for man. You were primarily created for man. Now do you see why we have some weighty things to discuss? We're just getting started. Wait till we get to next week. Men, if we don't understand our role, we shatter everything. It's a lot of responsibility. I'm just reading the text. But women for man. Go to any version you want of the Bible. Women were created for man. Verse 23, Ephesians 5, 23-24. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Here we go again. This is what Paul says, the mystery. There's something glorious going on in this creation order and in this relationship thing. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and, his, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ... Man, we, we, we got to do a whole series on this later. So also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. You tracking with me? In everything. So this is not a license for domination. This is not what this is about. It's not lording over women. This is about headship, picture, headship, leadership, spiritual, gentle, loving guidance. 
in direction. So when I think, let me, when I think about authority, I think about my children, right? So I'm in authority. Parents, we're in authority over our children, right? Like that's not a bad thing. Authority is not a bad thing. We have a negative connotation authority because it's been abused throughout human history. But, it, but in the essence, authority is not bad, right? We, we, like it's good that our children have authority over them. But hold on, let me ask you a question. Interact with me. Uh, because me and my wife have authority over our children, does that mean that our children have less value? No, that'd be utterly ridiculous. Does it mean that because me and my wife um, have authority over our children that, they ha- that our children have less dignity? No, it's ridiculous. No, this is, look, authority and leadership has nothing to do with worth and dignity. This is everything to do with the design of God. And that leads us to the next one. But the design of, um, by the design of God, women were created to be the helper, okay? Women were created to be the helper. We just looked at that in, in uh, verse 8 of, of Corinthians, right? It said, woman was created for man. Remember the text, God created man. It wasn't good for man to be alone. Then he created all these animals trying to find a helper. They weren't suitable. It was at that point he says, let's, let, now let's do it this way. Let's create a woman to do what the animals and all the other creation could not do. It's in the DNA of your design, women. And there's something good, I have good news for you, it's coming. So verse 18, let's remind ourselves. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. In verse 20, you don't have to go there. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heaven and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. Now, I don't know if you noticed, but basically over and over and over again, God is creating all these things and he's proclaiming them good, creates, good, creates, good, creates, good. But all of a sudden, for the very first time in the Bible, something is not good. According to God, this is, do you, do you realize that this is before sin? Are you tracking with me? Before sin, God is saying something is not good enough. It's not very good yet. I, I imagine Adam, like here, here, here goes God. He's like parading all these different animals and beasts in front of him. And Adam's like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm casting your nature upon you. You will be named this for you are this. You are this because you are this. And then I imagine Adam just kind of being like, man, but they're not suitable for me. And then, and then, you know, he gets kind of tired. He goes to take a nap. And then God calls over to Adam. He takes the rib out. And then Adam kind of wakes up. <sighs> Can you imagine when he first saw a woman? That is legit. <laughs> right? You see his reaction. And he's like, oh, I'm going to name you woman, right? Because you are flesh of my flesh. And it was at that point that God said it was very good. Wow. Woman, utterly different in when she's created, why she's created. Equally important. So, so should women be treated the same? That's the next logical question. Should women be treated the same as men? Should women be treated the same as men? Well, yes and no, (laughs) right? Yes, in the sense of dignity and worth, absolutely. We've done a horrible job throughout human history, and that's why women are guarded, 
rightfully. That's why they have a hard time interacting with actually the beautiful design of God, rightfully. <laughs> because we have totally and utterly disregarded and disrespected their worth and their dignity. But no, but no, in the sense that she was literally created with her entire woman has been created with their entire purpose centering on helping man. The entire purpose is centered on helping man. That, that is sobering, and that is a real reality. So, look at this graph. Man was created with the design to exercise loving authority over a woman. And woman was created with the design to extend glad submission to man. Let that hold intention. Because I want you to get healed. Because there's pain in our homes and our families. It goes back generations. I'm not here to convince you and to tickle you with what you want to hear. I want your family to get healed. And I want your generational things to break. And it starts with God's design. I want you healed. I want my family healed. Now, I'm sure that internally some of you might be rolling your eyes. And we got a little bit more to go today. We have to spend some time today. You may be rolling your eyes and you may be saying, you have got to be kidding me. <laughs> this is that moment where I may sound chauvinistic and ridiculous to you. I want you to know that's not true. Like, these realities don't circumvent and change what we just talked about in truth number one, about equal dignity and worth. Um, these different roles are good for us. They're, God, they're glorifying to God, more importantly, if we're humble enough to allow God to transform our hearts. Now, some of you may be thinking right now, Pastor Brandon, are you really, really certain about what you're sharing today? Like, how certain are you that you are preaching faithfully the Word of God? Yes, I am. I am certain that I am preaching to the best of my ability what the Holy Spirit has placed upon my life, that this is what the Word of God is saying. It is plain and it is simple, and we don't have to complicate it. We, listen, people of God, understand the difference between something being simple and understandable and, and us having an atmosphere of wounds that affected our trust in the God of the universe, and more importantly, our trust that God can heal humans to do it right. You are in one of the camps. You either have a problem trusting that God's word is true, or you trust God, sort of, but you really don't, or you don't trust that God can transform people, which means you don't trust God. What part are you struggling with? Now, I want to show you eight realities that are going to show you and prove to you that what we're talking about is so true about man being created with the design of authority and woman being created with the design of glad submission. That woman was designed and created for man and man was created for the purpose of subduing the lands. We're going to look at eight realities. We're going to kind of run through them a little bit. Are you guys ready? Okay. One, see it in the order of creation. Okay. See it in the order of creation. Now, certainly man and woman could have been created in any order. They could have been created woman first. She wasn't. God could have created man and woman at the literal same time. They weren't. Notice about all other creation accounts. Do you see any distinction when the beast... Did it say that first he made the, the, man, the, the male cheetahs, then the woman cheetahs, then the, then the male mouses, and then the woman... No, everything is created, but for important reasons, God then takes his time out 
and gets all into the nitty-gritty of the order of creation. The New Testament echoes that truth, right? Remember when we were in 1 Corinthians 11, chapter 8? Um, what is, it said, uh, uh, for, oh, here we go. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Look at the, look at the intentionality in the order. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man, right? So there's something important going on right here that the Lord wants us to see. The next one, the design of creation. The, the very design of creation. Notice that man is created by God, breathing life into him. That's how he designed it. There was a literal life being put in by God. Notice that woman was created from man. From man, woman was created. Hmm. Notice that. The design of creation. What about the naming of the woman? The naming of the woman. Uh, when you name someone, that's a position of authority, correct? Parents, you name your children. You do that because you have authority over them. We see examples in the, in the text of Jesus renaming people, God renaming people. In every culture since the beginning of time, the exercise of naming something is one of the biggest signs of authority. When the Babylonians took all these little Jewish boys, um, primarily, and, and, and were bringing them into their lands, they renamed them. They renamed them, all right, because it was a position of authority. Are you seeing this? Are you tracking with me? The naming of the human race. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. Remember, um, it talks about man being pictured representing male and female. Watch this. In Genesis chapter 5, actually, verses 1 through 2. Just listen. It's not going to be on the screen. This is the book of the generations of Adam. Adam, not Eve. They're both equally dignity and value. But God is speaking through Adam. Okay, When God created man, he created him in the likeness of God. Watch this. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man and woman? Nope. And he blessed them and named them man when they were created. Now, clearly, God is the author of the universe. He could have, went, he could have easily said, he could have created them individually. He could have created them separately. He did not. He did not. He's consistently pulling this narrative together. Okay, number five, the representation of man. The representation of man. In 1 Corinthians um, 15, Paul says, In Adam all die. Not in Adam and Eve. In Adam all die. Not in Adam and Eve. In Adam all die. We'll look at Romans 5. Through one man came sin. Now, clearly we know that Eve sinned. She, she sinned. In fact, Eve sinned first, but that's not the focus. Consistent from Old Testament to New Testament. Through one man came sin into the world, and death to all men through this man who sinned. The representation of man and authority and leadership. Okay? Wow. Now I want you to really focus on this next verse. This is Genesis 3, 8 through 9. All kind of texts I'm throwing at you. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. This is a preview of next week. And the man and his wife 
hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Verse 9, But the Lord God called to the man and said, Where are you? He didn't even, did he say where, did, did the Lord God call to the man and the woman? Hold on. Eve is deceived. She's the first to sin. But the, listen, the first, the first time in all of human history, in the first time of creative order, there's been the first offense to God. And the first thing God does with the first offense, the first sin, is he directly calls out man. Where are you? Men, this is what's happening in our country. Our women are struggling. Our children are struggling. Our country is perishing. And God is saying, where are you? Where are you? This first sin of Adam has not stopped. For everybody says, oh, why do we pay for the, the sins of Adam? We are Adam daily and we are in need of the grace and mercy of God. Number seven, the effects of sin. The effects of sin. Many people often think that because of sin, that's why we have all these different roles with men and women, right? Like because of sin, now God made these new roles. That's obviously not true if you've been leaning in with me today. Like I'm hoping you can see this now in the scripture. Listen, this is not an introduction of new roles. Sin coming into the picture was not the introduction of new roles. It was the distortion of previous roles. I'm going to say that again. When sin entered, it was not that God had created new roles. It was that now there was a distortion of the, the roles that God had always created. As the result of sin, men, we've become abusive. Maybe not always physically, but we've become abusive in our roles and within our authority. That's what sin did. Sin caused a perfect design to become abusive. And as a result of sin, women, you will, God says so, you will attempt to usurp man's authority in every way possible, in your home, as your husband, in your heart, in your country, and in your church. You will try to usurp man's authority as a result of sin. So what, what, what was once a beautiful design that God said would, would lead to you to your ultimate joy has become distorted and broken. Because after all, let me get to the core. I can't go into the emotions today. That's next week. But I'll say one thing. At the end of the day, you really aren't in a fight for authority. And men, you're really not in a fight for any. You know what we're all in a fight for? We've, we're, we're having the wrong battle. We're all in a fight for peace. And we're all in a fight for happiness. And we're all in a fight for joy. And here's where we make a mistake. Oftentimes we fight for something and we're fighting the wrong battle. And I want to lift up to you that the battle is for your joy. And if you keep your mind focused and your heart focused that you want joy and peace in your life, then you'll have room for God to prescribe the best journey there. I am 100% giving you marriage counseling right now. It's just coming in a very slow foundational way. Okay? The, here, um, the final one right here. The redemption of sinners. The redemption of sinners. Can't you see? Guys, can you see this? This is what Jesus came for. He came to reestablish what God prescribed. 
like the original design. You see, what, did Jesus, what do you notice in the Gospels? Jesus comes doing what? He, he's, he's, re, he's reforming it back to its original place. He starts using terms like this, head and helper. And then the apostles echo with that. Now Paul's saying, you're going to be the head, like Christ is the head of the church. What is going on? Jesus came to redeem it back to what God always designed it to be. Husbands are to be head of their wives, like Christ is the head of the church, etc., etc. This finally collapses and collides into the final truth. Truth number three. God created man and woman as a reflection of the Trinity. God created man and woman as a reflection of the Trinity. Listen, the persons of the Trinity, Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, are all equally divine, right? But here's the thing. I want you to track something. This may be another one of those things that's going to break down some of your childhood theology. They're equally important. But their positions are different and their authority and their authority. I remember growing up for most of my time into college thinking, God, the father, God, the son, Holy Spirit, they're all equal. They're equal. That's too generic because I made the I I then jumped and said they're equal in authority. No, they're not. The father has authority over the son. I can't I cannot teach all that today. The father has authority over the son. The father sends the father sends the, the son never sends the father anywhere. And that is not about the son losing his dignity and worth as part of the triune Godhead. It's demonstrating something. Women, you have a responsibility, and it's a perfect one. It's a great one. It's a glorious one. Christ relates to you in that. Therefore, the son is subject to the father, the word of God says. The son is obedient to the father. Just in case you think that I'm stretching the text, let's just see. Jesus says, (laughs) it is my will. He's going to talk for himself. Don't listen to Pastor Brandon. Listen to Jesus. It is my will to do what the Father has sent me to do. You can read this for a later reading. Romans chapter 8, verse 34. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 22. And Hebrews 1, chapter, uh, Hebrews 1, verse 3. Look at it. It's permeating all over the text. The Father never, ever, ever, ever in all of the Bible sits at the right hand of the Son. It's ridiculous. The Son always sits at the right hand of the Father. The Son gladly, willfully, joyfully submits. But why? Because he trusts in the leadership over him. He trusts in the Father position. Women, I'm not asking something easy of you. Because guess what? Your husbands, me, we are terrible shadow images of God and we fall short daily we need your prayers and I need your prayers as your pastor that preaches on it every Sunday I know I fall short but women I need your prayers I need my wife's prayers so that I can just courageously step into the role that God has for me every day more and more and your husbands need your prayers this is a loving authority this is glad submission in the context of a beautiful relationship and a beautiful relationship. So men, when we wimp away from our position, we stand against the very character and design of God. Stop doing that. Step up in your home. Come talk to me. Let me counsel you. I'll help you. Women, when you balk against this authority, hey, let me just have this moment right now. I, I'm not going to do this like all this loud and emotional stuff. Listen to me. 
Because mm. I was thinking about this a couple days ago, and my heart was hurting for our women. Some of you are in homes with men who don't know Jesus. They can't even lead you spiritually. And I know you're feeling like, what does this mean? Look, next week, we're going to be looking at this very intently about how this works out practically. And I have some very important things to share with you. If you're in a situation where either your husband's not a believer and he's not practicing the faith, or maybe he goes to church and he is practicing, but you know that he's not even, there's no fruit in his life. We're going to talk about that. You need to come next week. Stay tuned, okay? But we couldn't go too fast. We, we got to slow down. We got to get this foundational creative order. But I want to just say that, and I want to acknowledge that. And I want to acknowledge you. Women, but when you balk against the authority in submission, in glad submission, you are balking against the very character and design of God. The very design of God. And this is the gospel. Listen to me. We're going to land the plane right here. This is the gospel. Christ is our sacrificial groom. And we are his submissive bride. And when we submit to God and we submit to Christ and we walk out these roles... We activate the gospel message. Listen, our children cannot understand the gospel if we're not showing them an accurate picture in our relationships as man and woman. We are the image of God. We are the image of God. How can we ever expect to raise our little boys and our little girls and affect this culture if we don't submit and trust the God of the universe in these roles? It's essential that we embrace these things. Let's pray. My God. Abba Father, as we conclude <laughs> the first half of this conversation, this, this sermon, Lord, this weighty topic of biblical manhood and biblical womanhood, uh, I pray for the individual sitting here right now who, um, man, is struggling and is confused. Lord, I pray that, Lord, as we have this moment and as we are um, experiencing, Lord, all these different emotions or uh, maybe even encouragement right now, God, that you would begin to do a work throughout the rest of our week. And Lord, as you continue this conversation in our hearts and maybe in our community groups, I pray, Lord, that there would be a Holy Spirit type of comforting that's permeating our hearts and permeating our homes. I pray that for women right now, God, that you would soften hearts, Lord, soften hearts for our men, that you would soften hearts divides at home bring them back together in the name of jesus bring homes reconcile redeem heal heal there's there's people some of us have childhood wounds lord and they're affecting how we parent our children heal in the name of jesus lord heal us lord it's in your beautiful beautiful name we pray amen now as we get ready to enter into this last worship i'm going to be standing in the back and if you want some prayer, you don't have to explain your whole situation. You don't have to explain your whole story. You can just say, I want prayer. I would be happy to pray with you about anything that God is putting on your heart right now. About this sermon, about something in your home. I want to I meet you where you're at. Amen.